The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. And here's a question for you to think about. Do you practice self-compassion? Do you give yourself the same kindness and care that you'd give to a good friend? And if not, why not? Our guest on this episode, Dr. Kristen Neff, is one of the world's experts on self-compassion. She's the author of several books on the topic, including the latest, which is called Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. How do you define self-compassion? What is it in your view? Well, uh, the easy way to think about it is simply treating yourself with the same kindness, care, and support that you would naturally show to a good friend or anyone you cared about. So compassion, actually, passion means suffer, calm means with. So it's a way of being with yourself when you're struggling, when you're feeling inadequate or something difficult is happening in your life in a very supportive, helpful way that, um, yeah, helps alleviate suffering. It's quite simple, actually. When have you needed to show more compassion to yourself? <laughs> a lot of times. When, when am I like not? Me? You know, it's like this morning, you know, <laughs> yeah. So I, I like to joke that I've been at this for 25 years and I'm still, I, I, I like to say I'm a compassionate mess. Still a mess. I love it. But I, I have learned how to be compassionate toward that mess. Yeah, no, but, but yeah. So I'll give you one example. My son was diagnosed with autism. Um, he's 19 now and he's driving and he's doing great. But I can tell you when it first hit, it was really, really hard on me. And thank goodness I had my self-compassion practice. It, it helped me, first of all, uh, accept my feelings about it. You know, I'll admit it. I was feeling some disappointment, a lot of fear. Um, it was a very difficult time. And then also when he was, he wasn't even potty trained until he was five years old. So, you know, the early years were rough. And what I found is the more I could give myself compassion, accepting all my feelings, um, really supporting myself during that difficult time, the more I was able to be there for myself, actually, the better mother I was and the more able I was to, able I was to be there for him. Why did you first become interested in the topic? <laughs> Well, because my life was a mess. <laughs> it's still a mess. And it was a mess back then. It was actually uh, my last year of graduate school at, at UC Berkeley. Um, and I had just gotten out of a divorce. I you know, was married twice. And yeah, I was feeling a lot of stress and uncertainty. Um, and I decided to learn mindfulness meditation. And really, you know, and I, I knew what they would talk about mindfulness, maybe even compassion for others. But the woman leading the course talked about self-compassion, you know, about how we needed to turn the lens of warmth, care, support inward as well as outward. And I had never even really thought about that before. Like what, <laughs> you know, I could actually intentionally be kind and supportive and compassionate to myself. Mm -hmm. 
So I tried it out and I, I was so blown away by the immediate difference it made with my ability to cope with all the stress I was experiencing that I decided to make it my life's work to research it and to teach it. I actually, when I was going to sleep last night, I played one of your guided mindfulness exercises mm. and it made me feel so relaxed and kind of free from myself and my own self-criticism that it actually helped me fall asleep. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's it a lot was, of people say my voice sends them to sleep. <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> good or not, but it, it was just so calm and relaxing. Why yeah. is it that it works so well for us? It, I mean, I felt like I did forgive myself for the mistakes mm -hmm. I felt I made yesterday. And I wasn't even sure why. Yeah, well, so it's actually very natural. Compassion is natural. Well, actually, so is self-criticism. They're both natural responses. So, so we have two main safety systems. We have the threat defense system, which is um, we go into fight, flight, or freeze, and the system evolved to keep us safe. So normally when we make a mistake or something's difficult, you know, we naturally want to help ourselves. So we attack the problem, but of course the problem is ourselves because we just made a mistake. And so we go into fight, flight, or freeze. We beat ourselves up or we flee into shame or we get stuck in our thoughts about it. Um, but we have another safety system, which, which is normally used for other people, not ourselves. And that's our care system. So when we were little babies, you know, our parents, hopefully, if we had good parents, when we were upset, they would soothe us. They would comfort us. They would, they would reassure us of their unconditional love. They would hold us physically. They would make us feel accepted. They would make us feel like we belonged. And... What we're doing with self-compassion is we're actually doing that for ourselves. So it feels a little awkward at first because we're more used to either giving that to others or having others give it to ourselves, but we can actually learn to, to do it directly, to treat ourselves with that same kindness, care, sense of belonging and acceptance. And again, we feel it actually changes our physiology, reduces cortisol, it increases heart rate variability, and that's partly why it helps us sleep because we just feel safer and more relaxed. You say we need to develop both sides of self-compassion, both the fierce and the kind side of self-compassion. Yes. So how do we go about doing that? What are the first steps? Yeah, well, so first of all, just to acknowledge that, that fierceness is part of self-compassion. You know, a lot of people only think of the tender, soothing side, which is the side of self-compassion, which may help you sleep. But remember, you know, there's also what I like to call mama bear self-compassion. So if, if we use parenting as a metaphor, sometimes parents soothe and comfort their children. But if anyone attacks the children or threatens them, you see this real ferocity, the sense of protection or maybe motivation. You know, eventually it's time for our kids to leave the home. And we may need to give them a little compassionate kick in the butt to do that. Right. This is also part of compassion. And so fierce self-compassion is when we either protect ourselves or we actually meet our own needs. We do what's necessary to um, help ourselves or we motivate change. And so we need both, uh, but the energies feel a little bit different. So with tender self-compassion, we practice self-acceptance. You know, we, we are okay. We, we don't need to change to be worthy of care and kindness. But even though we're okay, maybe some of our behaviors or the situations could be changed to, to make it healthier. And so we need both sides. So I've developed practices that really help engender both. When I think about self-compassion, I think about trying to soothe myself and make myself think that I don't deserve criticism, that I'm better 
than I think I am. And to me, that's synonymous with self-confidence, but I know you say that they're different and I wondered how. Yeah. So, um, so self-confidence or actually the research has been more on self-esteem. Self-esteem is a judgment of self-worth, right? Typically it's contingent. It's either contingent on feeling, you know, special and above average. It's not okay to be average. You have to feel special to be okay. Or um, we need to succeed, whether that's succeed in terms of business or athletics or school, whatever's important to you. It's also contingent on looking a certain way, especially for a woman. We we need to feel attractive to others to to like ourselves, or we need to feel approved of by others. So the problem with that sort of contingent self-esteem is that it's, again, it's there for us on a good day and it's bad for this when we need it most when we fail. So it's kind of unstable. Self-compassion, on the other hand, doesn't come from judgment or evaluation. It's unconditional. We get it just because we're flawed human beings, because we are that mess, that compassionate mess. And for that reason, it's a more stable source of self-worth. We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners, and we're excited to tell you about Lomi, the world's first smart waste appliance. If you've struggled with composting and feel it's too much work or feel bad that you're not doing your part to help the environment, you have to check out Lomi. Lomi is a countertop electric composter, and I love it because I don't have a traditional garbage disposal. With Lomi, I don't need to take a lot of trips to the garbage with food waste. I just turn food scraps into dirt with the push of a button, and in just a minute, we'll tell you about a special offer from Lomi for our Nobody Told Me listeners. I love my Lomi because just about anything I'd put in the kitchen disposer can be put into the Lomi on my countertop and turned into dirt in four hours. There's no smell when it runs and it's really quiet. Since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage. Me too. And you know, I think it's cut down my kitchen garbage by at least a half. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, my Lomi turns my food waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. It is so cool to see. I feel great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of garbage. I have a basically limitless supply of dirt now for my garden, and Lomi is so easy to use. While you may want to get a Lomi for yourself, you may also want to get one for someone on your holiday list. This is a great gift that will help someone year-round. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash NTM. And again, that's Lomi spelled L-O-M-I. Use promo code NTM at checkout. Food waste is gross. Lomi is your solution. With the holidays just around the corner, Lomi will make the perfect gift for someone on your shopping list. Just head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. What are the gender differences that you see when you look at self-compassion? Interestingly, even though compassion is traditionally part of the female gender role, Uh, Women have a little less self-compassion than men, even though they actually have significantly more compassion for others. And so you might say the discrepancy for women between how they treat themselves and others is larger. And that's because women are socialized to be self-sacrificing, right? They, They don't necessarily feel entitled to meet their own needs 
Whereas men, they actually do feel more entitled to meet their own needs. And, and that's partly why I wrote the book specifically for women to say, hey, you know, we can harness this thing we've, we've been taught how to do, which is compassion for others. And we can turn that inward and use that same energy, that same power to help ourselves. Again, whether it's to motivate change or to protect ourselves, to draw boundaries, uh, for instance, I think the Me Too movement is a woman's self-compassion movement where we're saying, hey, it's not okay. We, you know, we need to protect ourselves, uh, but also to, to soothe and comfort ourselves in terms of the more tender side. So uh, men, I have to say, even though they feel more comfortable meeting their own needs, because compassion is considered a female thing, you know, hardly any of the people who come to my workshops are men. And sadly, they aren't allowed to be tender. They're socialized against that. And that actually harms men. So in a way, the whole thesis of the book is we, it's like yin and yang. We all need both. We need to find that point of balance. How could men benefit from having more self-compassion? Oh, well, um, you know, what, what we know from the research is self-compassion is phenomenally good for both mental and physical health, because the more mentally healthy we are, the better we sleep, the better our immune system functions. So it's also linked to physical health. So men, for instance, if they have to feel like they're tough and they can't admit that they're vulnerable or they can't admit when they're sad or scared, they actually can't help themselves through those difficult emotions. And so maybe they'll act out on them or, or turn to alcohol or some less healthy ways of coping with difficult emotions. Self-compassion is a really powerful tool for, for dealing with the pain of life. For instance, combat veterans who are more self-compassionate about the action they've seen, they're less likely to contemplate suicide or to abuse drugs or alcohol. They're less likely to develop post-traumatic stress syndrome. So men, unfortunately, because they feel it's not part of their gender role, they're really limited in their ability to use this incredibly powerful uh, resilience tool. What are some of those steps that we can all take to develop self-compassion? Well, luckily, it's not rocket science because we already know how to do compassion. Mm -hmm. It's just that we know how to do it for others. So, for instance, there's a couple of very simple things we can do. One is when you're struggling with something, and it could be because you made a mistake or you're feeling inadequate, or maybe it's the pandemic or something outside of your control. You can simply ask, you know, what would I say to a good friend I cared about who was struggling with the exact same issue I'm struggling with? Right. What would I say to be encouraging or to be supportive or to let them know I cared? Uh, what tone of voice would I use? And then you can just try saying those same things to yourself. You can either say it directly to yourself or you can imagine saying it to your friend and doing a U-turn. Or if it helps, you can imagine what a good friend would say to you. You know, it doesn't really matter as long as we're turning that lens of compassion inward. And I think it's related to health in some ways. Because I think about, for example, today, I really didn't feel like working out. And I thought to myself, you're lazy, all these things. And I think people do that with food too, where they, yeah. they get really down on themselves. But if they can show more self-compassion, it really could have good health benefits. Oh, well, absolutely. See, the, the biggest block to self-compassion is, again, people think it's going to undermine their motivation. They think they'll be lazy, that they'll stop trying. In fact, self-compassion is a more effective motivator than self-criticism. So self-criticism work, works from fear. You know, I'm going to hate myself unless I go to the gym or unless I lose up five pounds or whatever it is we want, whatever our goal is. And it kind of works in the short term. 
that it makes us afraid of failure. It creates anxiety. It leads to things like procrastination because it's so painful to risk failure. Self-compassion uses the power of encouragement. You still want to reach your goals. You still want to be healthy, but you know, you're okay. You know, it's like your, your self-worth isn't contingent on reaching your goals, which means this is really important, which means it's safe to fail. And if you do fail, instead of shaming yourself, which shuts down your ability to learn, you're able to say, okay, well, what went wrong here? What can I do better next time? And you're doing it not because you have to, but because you want to, because you care. And it's, it's a much more effective motivator. The research really supports this. It's more sustainable over time. How do most of us develop or fail to develop our self-compassion skills? Is it something our parents teach us? Is it something innate? What is yeah. it? So, well, it's, it's both, right? So um, yes, a lot of it does come from our parents. Um, unfortunately, if our parents didn't model for us that we are worthy, you know, that we are unconditionally loved, if they weren't super supportive and present for us, it will be harder to have self-compassion as an adult. And that, that's the bad news. The, the good news is, is you can learn to do it, right? You're almost like reparenting yourself with self-compassion. You're learning to give yourself that unconditional love and support that maybe you didn't receive. Uh, but we don't want to blame it all on our parents. So some of it is just physiological. Like I said, it's, it feels more natural to go into threat defense mode when we feel threatened than it does to go into care mode. You know, if your best friend, when they fail, you don't feel personally threatened. That's why you can use the care response to help them. And so with us, we have to do a little extra work to learn to pair the care response uh, toward ourselves when we feel threatened. But it can be done. It just takes a little bit of a practice and it has, needs to become a habit. Did a lot of us struggle with it during the pandemic because subconsciously we wanted to control something and by being mad at ourselves, we were at least yeah. controlling something. <laughs> well, absolutely. well, that's really insightful because if you think about the inner critic, or if you were to like role play your inner critic, you know, the back is tall on the inner critic. You know, I know what's right. And it's almost, I'd rather feel like I could have gotten it right. And I'm mad at myself for not getting it right. than admit that actually sometimes we try our best and it still doesn't work out. Right. So that, that desire for control is again, because remember the self-critic comes from feeling threatened. And when we feel scared and threatened, we want to have control so that we can feel safe. And so that's why we really, part of us, it's not rational, but part of us thinks that by beating ourselves up, we'll get control. We will be able to get it right. And that makes us feel safer than opening to the reality of, well, we can absolutely try our best and it may not be enough. And then we'll try again. And so recognizing that it's really important to recognize that because we don't want to beat ourselves for beating our, beat ourselves up for beating ourselves up, right? We don't want to shame ourselves for shaming ourselves. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> These are just natural responses. We're trying to stay safe. We're trying to be well. And so we just want to use a, a more effective way to feel safe and well, and that is self-compassion. What are some of the things we can ask ourselves in determining whether we're as self-compassionate as we could be? <laughs> Well, if you're a science nerd, you can actually take the self-compassion scale I developed on my website at selfcompassion.org. It'll give you an actual score. Um, but a, an easier way to do it is just if you just compare what you say to yourself when, when you're struggling to what you say to your friends you care about. And um, you'll probably find that, you know, 
you don't really want to speak to your friends the way you treat yourself because you'll have no friends. Most of us are <laughs> so much harder on ourselves <laughs> than we are our friends. And so that's, that's probably the easiest way to gain insight into that is just to compare how you treat yourself when you struggle compared to your friends. Why is it that having self-compassion makes women less afraid of conflict? Uh, well, so, you know, women are socialized um, not to engage in conflict, right? We're socialized to be agreeable. People like agreeable women who say yes to everything, who don't rock the boat, who don't ever get angry. Uh, and that harms women in the long run because sometimes we do need to get angry. You know, we don't want to have toxic anger where we're burning ourselves up or calling people names or harming people, but we need to get angry at injustice to change things. Right. There's anger, for instance, in the Me Too movement. There had to be because we had to get angry at the fact that the sexual harassment and abuse has been going on for hundreds of years. And we need to get angry to say, no, it's not OK. Um, but of course, our gender role socialization, because uh, we feel so uncomfortable with anger because of the way we've been raised, means that it's hard for us to do it. And that's why I like to frame this as a type of fierce self-compassion to say you know, if the goal is to alleviate suffering, either the suffering of ourselves or others, this is actually a face of love. But again, we aren't, we aren't raised this way, so it takes a little bit of work. Um, and the thing is, we all have the, I like to call it mama bear self-compassion, because we've all felt that usually in relation to protecting those we love, our kids or maybe, you know, our good friends. So the anger, or you might say the fierceness is already inside of us. So can we draw on it in a way that's going to help as opposed to harm? That's the trick. When you talk about women being the mama bear, a lot of women are caregivers. And yes. I'm wondering how those women can use self-compassion to engage in caregiving without burning out. Uh, well, yeah. So that's one of the biggest areas of research. Now, I actually just published a paper last year. We developed a self-compassion program for healthcare workers, as we know, who are just suffer so much from burnout. They have an impossible job. Um, and what you need to know is that when you care for yourself, and I'm not just talking about self-care, you know, do yoga, get a massage. I'm talking really about emotional self-care. When you can um, be with yourself in the fact that you feel so stressed, you feel so burnt out, you feel so overwhelmed or maybe scared or you can't handle it anymore. When you pause to give yourself that emotional support, yeah, this is really hard. You know, what can I do to help? What do you need in the moment? How, how can I be here for you? You say this to yourself and it sounds a little weird, but again, you get used to it. When you can actually be there for yourself emotionally, that means that, first of all, you're lowering your stress level, you're lowering your cortisol level, levels, um, you feel safer, you feel supported, and your frame, your internal mindset becomes calmer and, and you start to feel safer. And if you're a caregiver, and I know this again, because I, I had I have an autistic son, and autistic people, um, they're actually very uh, sensitive emotionally to other people's emotions. That's partly why they withdraw into themselves. And I would start to see this pattern. If my son maybe was having a tantrum and I would get angry or maybe really burnt out or just frustrated, his tantrum would, it would increase. But if I can give myself compassion, if I could say, well, this is so hard, Kristen, I, you know, you feel so overwhelmed. I'm here for you. What can I do to help in the moment? I would calm and soothe myself. And then my son would calm down. Because we're always in, we're always uh, in, impacting each other's emotions, 
So some people think self-compassion is selfish. It is anything but, you know, the more self-compassionate you are, the more resources you have available to care for others. It's, it's additive. It's not a zero sum game. So the book is just so fascinating and there's so much great information, but what is the main takeaway that you hope women get from it? If there's only one piece of information. Uh, I, I think the main takeaway is give yourself permission to be compassionate and supportive and kind to yourself. And that that's really the thing with women is they don't feel, they don't give themselves permission. They already have that fierceness inside of them. They already have that tenderness inside of them, but they don't give themselves permission to uh, use it with themselves. And so you know, if, I could, if I could just give women permission, I'll be happy. <laughs> it's almost like in some ways we know our friends better than we know ourselves. And yes. like I said, doing that exercise yesterday, last night made me feel like I didn't really know myself that well in some, in some weird way because I didn't know how to be nice to myself. Yeah. And it, it takes a little practice. Yeah. Um, but it's not rocket science. I mean, really, that is the good news. It just takes a little effort building a new habit. We're completely capable of it. Kristen, our show is called Nobody Told Me, as you know, and we uh, always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? What is it that nobody <laughs> told you about self-compassion or life or something that you had to learn the hard way that would have yeah. been a lot easier if you'd known beforehand and you'd kind of like to pass it on to someone else? Well, I mean, I'm at the fear of being too obvious. I mean, that was my light bulb moment when, when I first heard about self-compassion. It's like, you mean I have this superpower in my back pocket? Nobody told me. You know, <laughs> at, at any moment. I mean, really, at any moment, if you take out this, it is a superpower. You, you treat yourself with kindness, warm support. Just you got to try it. Believe me. Don't, don't believe me. Try it out. Check it out for yourself. It makes a radical difference in your ability to cope with what's happening. When I first heard it, it was like my life was changed. How can people connect with you on social media and learn more about the book? Yeah. So, uh, well, easy place to start is my website, selfcompassion.org. I have research, I've guided practices, um, but I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. If you just, again, do a search on self-compassion, you'll find me. Uh, Great. Yeah. So. Great. Well, we thank you. (laughs) We really thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. This has been really informative and and helpful Mm -hmm. and groundbreaking, but it shouldn't have been. (laughs) Exactly. No one told me. (laughs) Right. Our thanks to Dr. Kristen Neff again. Her latest book is called Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power and Thrive. And again, her website is selfcompassion.org. And there's a hyphen in self-compassion. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 